0: You would please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, this is God's Word. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, "'Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years.'" But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. This chapter has several important lessons in it, but if you want to know which verse is kind of the one verse that you're going to see over and over again in Scripture, it comes right out of this chapter. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Verse 6. The Reformation that we are celebrating all this month is grounded in the fact that we receive God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul's entire argument in the book of Romans is anchored on this truth. God credited righteousness to Abram on the basis of Abram believing God. And in this chapter, when Abram asks God for something to let him know that he's actually going to inherit the land and these promises are going to come true, God does something that is foreign to us, but this reality is still a part of everyday speech around the world, and it's fun to look on Wikipedia that most of the sites have no no idea. Not, not just Wikipedia, Google. I mean, generally, folks don't know where the expression came from. The expression is to cut a deal. Well, let's cut a deal. Okay, You go to a car dealership and you talk back and forth. They love to do that. And then the question is whether or not they're going to cut you a deal. Why do we say cut a deal? Where does that come from? One article suggests it comes from ancient Japan, Well, this is older than that. Literally, when it says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Literally, what it says, if you just didn't try and modify the Hebrew in order to make it understandable to people, it says God cut a covenant with Abram. What, what what Okay, well, I mean you're kind of belaboring this point. I don't understand what, what's the deal. Why'd these animals have to die? What what is it about this arrangement? Whose idea was it? Did did Abram say, uh, how about this? How about if I kill some animals? And that'll let me know. No, God told him. To gather these specific animals, and then they were to be cut and placed on either side. In this culture, in this time, if you wanted to have a serious commitment between parties, this is how they would symbolize it, because when you pass through those animals, you are saying, as you walk between the carcasses, may I be like them if I do not keep my word. If I do not keep my promise, may I be killed, cut in half. In order to, For us to appreciate the covenants in Scripture, we have to recognize that over and over and over, the symbolism involves death. The two great pictures of our salvation, the Lord's Supper, And baptism both involve remembering the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the amazing thing, absolutely amazing thing, is that we're the ones who broke the covenant, and he's the one who paid the price. He suffered and died in our place. We deserve to die for having violated God's command. God says, do this and live. Do this and you will be destroyed. We chose sin, and God bore the wrath. That, ultimately, is what the gospel's about. It's what the Reformation is about. Because all other religions tell us what we can do to earn our salvation. We can't. We deserve to die. Period. You can't earn it. Forget that. It's a lie from the enemy. You cannot earn your salvation. Well, I'm going to try really hard. It's an insult to God for us to think that we can make up for our sin in a way that would be perfection before a holy, perfect God. But we're, we're trying. It doesn't work. What we need is one who takes the punishment for us. And by the way, that's why all those animals under the old covenant had to die. They were a picture reminding us that we were living under a death sentence apart from God's grace. We all deserve death. Well, but what about, these animals were innocent. That's the point. They represent the innocent one who will be the substitute for us, the guilty party. So Abraham understood all that? No. Abraham didn't understand all that. But what Abraham understood, and at this point he was Abram still, What he understood was that God was making him a promise. Now, I want you to understand that when God spoke to him at the start of this chapter and says, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward, I love the fact that God is having to tell Abram, don't be afraid. The previous chapter is Abram taking his militia and going out and defeating the armies, plural, of several kings. This guy is a fierce warrior, even though he's old. He's got a militia. He's just had victory. But God comes and says to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Over and over in the scripture, we're going to see God telling his people, don't be afraid. And the reason is because the enemy seeks to use fear in order to manipulate us. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are, how talented you are, how successful you are, you're going to have to deal with fear. And so don't think you're alone in that. Other people experience that too. But don't think that you overcome it just by positive thinking. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough. Doggone it, people like me. No, that's, that's not the key to overcoming fear. The key is to know that there's someone greater than you. I mentioned it to you before, but I heard it on the radio again yesterday. This guy is talking about all the things that terrify him and how he clings to the fact that, the quote, the things that I'm afraid of are afraid of you. all the forces of darkness tremble the name of Jesus because Jesus Christ is Lord. And therefore, though they try and intimidate us, again, the image from the song is wait till they see who's standing behind me. (laughs) Picture a little kid who's got a big brother. and All of a sudden, The bullies run the other way. God speaks to Abram, and he says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless. He's got all these possessions. He's gotten this and this and this and this. He even had victory in battle. But at the end of the day, he goes back to his tent, and he and his wife still don't have a child, and that's what they long for. And it's, I mean, it's really too late. It was obvious that his wife was not going to be able to have a child. For a while. How's she ever gonna have a child that's gonna be a miracle? God loves to do miracles. You know, we pray as if God is is sort of like, oh, another miracle? I hate this. No, God loves this. God loves putting His children in situations where we are reminded that apart from Him, we can do nothing. God loves putting his children in those situations not to torment us, but to grow us up in trusting him so that it becomes increasingly difficult for the enemy to rattle us because he goes, woo. and we say, my God is bigger than that. My God can handle this, whatever's going on. Numerous times I've shared the illustration of Jonathan Booth, one of our graduates, who was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. And the outlook was very, very grim. And everybody was heartsick. And Jonathan said, Don't cry. Don't be afraid. Either I'm going to be healed and have a fabulous testimony or I'm going to be in heaven. In either case, I'll be fine. Jonathan is still here. Dr. Jordan's brother-in-law. He and his wife, Betsy, whose wedding I had the joy and privilege of performing, have two adorable little kids. Because God chose to do what the doctors didn't think could happen. He went through chemo, and radiation, but it was, that was what they did not to fix him, but to try and prolong his life. Well, what God chose to do went way beyond anything that the doctors thought possible. So does God always do that? Well, he does that actually more often than you know. I've talked with you before about Lindsay Bridges, the vice chairman of our board here at the ranch. Lindsay was diagnosed with glioblastoma. That's a death sentence. But instead of panicking, her statement was, God's got this. And God chose to heal her. And she is practicing law, homeschooling her kids, and, as I said, serving as vice chairman of the board at Wears Valley Ranch. So God always heals? No. No. We've had precious friends who've gone to be with the Lord. Well, so how do I know what he's going to do? God does what he promised. And God always does what is best for his children. Well, I don't see how that could be best. Well, you don't have to. God has a different timeline than we do. One of the things that God says here is your descendants, you are going to have a child, and it's through him that this vast multitude of descendants will come. But know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. What? They will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. How long is that? Can you give me some historical perspective? Well, let's see. How old is the United States of America? Huh? A little over 200 years? A little over 200 years. So if we're talking about what God promised will happen to Abram's descendants, they'd be a little over halfway through their enslavement. How could God let that happen? Think of all the people who were born and lived and died during that time and they suffered. God's looking at things in terms of eternity. God has a plan. One of the things that is going on in the midst of what he describes here is, I'm going to bring them back and they're going to come in and they're going to take over this land that I'm promising to you. But it's not time yet. And one of the reasons it's not time yet is verse 16 Your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God is giving people more time to get worse? Yes. Why would he do that? Don't know. But guess who is in charge of the universe? The creator, God. And guess who doesn't need a team of consultants? Years ago, Adrian Rogers said, many people would like to work for the Lord. Unfortunately, they want to work for him as consultants. (laughs) We think, you know, if, if God would just listen to me, I can explain to him how he ought to do this better. God, that person needs to die. God, this person needs to live. And we think we've got the full picture. And work that way. We're not in charge. God is in charge. Well, I don't like some of the things he does. Oh, well, that must mean because God's out of line. Couldn't possibly because you with your pea-sized brain are not aware of a whole bunch of things that God is aware of, including the future. This makes it abundantly clear God is not waiting to see what will happen. God has already laid out the timeline. That thing that's going to happen later in Genesis about Joseph, who I keep bringing up, getting sold into slavery in Egypt, God saw that coming. So did God make his brothers do that? No, his brothers did that because they wanted to. Well, it was evil, wasn't it? Well, yes, they meant it for evil. God meant it for good. God's always at work, even when people do bad things. What's the most criminal, unjust thing that has ever happened where the one person in human history who never did anything wrong and didn't deserve to die was crucified? Oh, well, you're talking about Jesus, aren't you? Of course I am. Yeah, that was, that was bad. That's how we got saved. So God used the wicked, evil behavior of these people in order to accomplish something magnificent for these evil, wicked People, well, please don't lump me into that category. I don't, I don't think that I'm evil. Really? You, you think you're basically good? Well, basically. I mean, I know I make mistakes. I, I've, I've done some things I shouldn't have. But, but, but basically, I think I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Well, then you've never had a glimpse of who God is. Isaiah might have thought that he was a pretty good person until he saw God. And when he got a glimpse of God and God's holiness and perfection, he said, woe is me. I am undone. Why? Because God's perfection makes everything else look like what it is, a mess. The Bible says, our righteousness is as filthy rags in God's sight. I just did a load of laundry last night. Actually, I did two loads yesterday. It was my day off, so I get to have fun. Um, but I, I did a load of laundry, and, and the second load was my white T-shirts, Um, I typically wear white t-shirts on Sunday because I often have a light-colored shirt on on Sunday. And so instead of wearing a dark t-shirt, I wear a white t-shirt. And I like for my whites to be white. In order to make sure that they are sufficiently white, I use a little bit of Clorox bleach, typically. You don't want to have Clorox bleach in the machine with things that are not supposed to be white. Or faded. So I wash my white, I save my white T-shirts until I can wash a load of them together, and I did that last evening. And I used the bleach. They came out just not quite up to snuff. Apparently, spending lots of time pressed against my skin has, has not been good for the purity of, of my shirt's they are looking increasingly dingy so i decided i needed to do something and that is to run the uh clean tub i think it's called setting on the washing machine because sometimes over time you know things get built up in the washing machine that are not they're they're out of sight they they go through the little holes into the background area behind the steel drum so I ran that clean cycle to clean the drum okay and this morning I went to look and see how the inside of the washing machine looked yuck oh all kinds of things that did not come from my t-shirts were in the bottom of that machine I'm gonna have I just put the lid back down literally I did I went in, I opened the lid, and I looked inside expecting to see a nice spotlessly clean thing, and instead it was it, there's all this gross stuff in there. I'm going to have to clean that. The thing that I used to clean my shirts was not clean. <sighs> what can wash away my sin? nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus folks you and I have nowhere else to go there isn't something else we can do in order to make ourselves acceptable to god the sinless lamb of god was slain to take away our sin it is what he has done and Our salvation is in him and in him alone. The Lord cut a covenant with Abram, saying, I will do these things. And Abram learned to believe God, to believe what he said. How can I know? What is the evidence Well, he had this amazing experience, but the experience all pointed to one thing, and that is, you have my promise. Are you and I willing to believe God's promise? Because that's what salvation looks like. We put our trust in him. You see, I know I can't save myself, I remember driving along in college, having come to faith in Christ years earlier, but I started thinking, what if I'm, re- what if I'm not saved? What, what, you know, what if I'm not? And I realized I don't have a plan B. And that's evidence that I'm saved. Because I realized if, if God doesn't save me, I'm not going to be saved. Well, that is the confession of a person who is saved. The confession of a person who is unsaved is thinking, well, what about this God? Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? And he says, Depart from me, I never knew you. Well, those people did a lot of good stuff. I haven't even done some of the things that they've done. How how can God say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you? Because where was their confidence? What was their hope? Lord, I did this, and and I did this, and, and I did this. If you think you're going to be saved by what you've done, you're not saved. If you think you're going to be saved because you did the right thing and you didn't do the bad stuff, you're not saved. But if you realize, I've done some bad stuff and I can't rewind the tape and undo it. And I haven't done some of the good things that I should have done and I can't go back to that moment and fix it. God be merciful to me, a sinner. If you're trusting in Him and Him alone for your salvation, you're saved. Because that's what God works in us. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Father, grant us the faith of Abram that we would be people who believe your word, who trust in your promises and may we be increasingly amazed that you would cut a covenant with man, that you would promise your own destruction if you didn't keep your word. And may we be utterly amazed by the fact that when we broke the covenant, you paid the price. Thank you so much. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.